It is such a joy to be one of your pastors, and it is such a joy to gather today at the climax of the Psalms. Will you pray with me? Father, as we look at your holy and perfect and eternal word today, we look to you as a servant to the hands of his master to provide every good thing. And we pray that today, Father, you would give us a feast of grace and truth. That your word would satisfy us and feed us today. God, for those who are hurting, there would be a balm in Gilead. For those who are um, discouraged, that there would be hope. God, for those who are just fallen into a time of just feeling flat and dull and despondent and lukewarm, that there would be revival. Lord, may we be different. And may your psalms continue to change us as we pray them back to you in the days ahead. Give us grace to hear, grace to understand, give us grace to respond, that this word would transform us, God, that we would be a people who are doers of the word. And we ask this in the beautiful name, the matchless name, the name of the one who is coming, who will part the clouds and make all things right. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thirteen months. Forty-four psalms. Multiple genres of psalms. And today we have come to the end. And in is the like climbing up a mountain. We have reached the peak. We have reached the summit. And it is glorious. And I hope that you will taste that glory this morning. That you will taste and see that the Lord is good. A brief look back on where we've been. We began our journey in Psalm 1, and we saw that the man or woman, the boy or girl who is blessed, is the one who meditates on God's word. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and whatever he does he prospers we moved on to psalm 2 and psalm 2 reassured us that in the midst of world unrest and political stress and turmoil that god will reign and that jesus will be king As for me, God says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 10, 
gave voice and lament to the victim of injustice and evil. Reminding us, reassuring us that there is a God who sees. There is a God who will judge. But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands to the helpless commits himself. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Psalm, one, Psalm 13 taught us that we could cry out in our pain, in faith, and ask, How long, O Lord? Psalm 16 showed us that we can fight temptation by crying out to God, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. That we, when we're confronted with the temptation to rebel against our king, to, to exercise treason against the king of the universe, we can restate our allegiance. I said to Yahweh, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Psalm 16 reminds us that the sorrows of those who go after another God shall multiply, but fullness of joy is found in God. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And we fight temptation by remembering these things. Psalm 23 comforted us to know the Lord is our shepherd, that he restores our soul, that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. Psalm 32 celebrated the forgiveness that God freely gives to all who call upon him. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Psalm 42 and 43 taught us the spiritual discipline of preaching to ourselves. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 46 and 56 showed us that the key to overcoming anxiety is to trust in God at all times and in every way. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Psalm 51 walked us through repentance when we have sinned. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Psalm 63 exhorted us to seek after God, reminding us that his love is better than life itself. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Psalm 73 gave us the honest glimpse into a heart of a, of, a, of a faithful follower of God who had become disillusioned, and bitter, and envious, but then experienced God's merciful breakthrough in bringing new life, reviving faith, that he could then cry out, whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 88, let us witness what faith looks like in the midst of deep, unrelenting pain and suffering. And it taught us how to pray in the dark. 
Psalm 115 taught us to give all glory to God. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And we looked at that becoming the foundation for our church that in all things, in every way, we give God the glory knowing we have nothing apart from Him. Psalm 119 opened our eyes to see the beauty and infinite worth of God's Word. It taught us to pray over and over again for understanding of God's Word and for obedience to God's Word. Your law, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Psalm 121 reminded us that God is faithful and he will bring us safely through this journey of life. He will bring us safely all the way home. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. We are safe in his hands. No one can pluck us from his hands. Psalm 123 taught us how to pray when the world treats us with contempt and scorn. Behold, as the eyes of a servants, as servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to Yahweh our God till he has mercy on us. Psalm 133, remember that? Showed us the beauty of unity and that just like the oil, anointing oil on Aaron consecrated him for holy service, set him apart. That unity consecrates God's people, sets us apart, shows us to be his chosen people. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron. Psalm 137 furthered our understanding of lament and the need to cling to the promises of God in the midst of darkness and suffering and evil. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Psalm 139 marveled at the omniscient, omnipresent, an omnipotent God who made us, who wrote all our days before a single one came into be. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Psalm 145 invited us into the explosion of joy in the God whose greatness is unsearchable. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. And now we come to Psalm 150. You may recall that the Psalter is divided into five books. Each of those books ends with a doxology, a praise to God. And Psalm 150 
is not only the fitting doxology to book five, but to the entire Psalter. There is no uh, unified consensus among Bible students and scholars on the how do you outline the book of Psalms, which is not to be unexpected given that it is a song book, a prayer book, but there is a general trend, and, and maybe you saw this on our journey, there's a general trend through the book of Psalms from lament to praise. And the Psalms end in praise, total, absolute praise. And the big idea is praise the Lord. Praise the Lord and be intentional. Church, be intentional to praise God. Praise the Lord and be intentional to praise the Lord. This must be a spiritual discipline that we cultivate. Most of us probably don't roll out of bed or fall out of bed, stumble out of bed in the morning just praising God, blowing up with joy. If you do, that is awesome, and I would love to hear that. But I don't stumble out of bed that way. And we have to lead our hearts to praise the Lord, to be intentional to praise the Lord. That, that expression, praise the Lord. Do you know how you say that in Hebrew? Gold star. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In fact, the Christian Standard Bible, uh, they don't even translate the first and last uh, portion of Psalm 150. They just say hallelujah, and they end with hallelujah, uh, because that is widely understood in English. Hallelujah literally means praise the Lord. Yah is an abbreviated form of Yahweh, the divine name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. So when we say hallelujah, we are literally saying praise the Lord. So church, don't say that expression flippantly. Society likes to use that as a flippant expression. Um, That you're using the divine name of God when you say hallelujah. So don't, don't say that flippantly. Psalm 150 is just a, a symphony of praise. And it's, it stands in stark contrast to the universal problem of humanity that Paul outlines in Romans 1. In fact, Psalm 150 in some ways is the faithful response to the, the human problem in, in Romans 1. In Romans 1, Paul talks about the rebellion and sinfulness of humanity. He writes... For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. No one will have an excuse on the day of judgment. God, I didn't know you existed. The evidence is there all around us. If there's a creation, there's a creator. And God's super intelligence can be seen, whether you're looking through a microscope 
an electron microscope, a telescope, or even just with your own unaided eye. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, now get this, this is, this is Paul's summary of man's rebellion. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Isn't it interesting that Paul doesn't, uh, he's going to go on, if, if you look in Romans 1, we're all in Romans 1, he's going to give a list of various sins as he goes later on in that chapter, and every single one of us can find ourselves in Romans 1, I assure you. And if you don't think you can, then you are deceived <laughs> about your own sin. We're all there. But isn't it interesting that when Paul summarizes humanity's rebellion, he says it's this, they don't honor God as God. And they don't give thanks to him. It's a fundamental failure to acknowledge and honor God. And 150, Psalm 150 is a beautiful counter to that. Let, let's be clear, just as a note here. God does not need your praise. But he does deserve it. As your creator, as the one who gives you life and breath and everything. What did God give you? Everything. What do you have that didn't come from him? Nothing. He deserves your praise. Psalm 65, 1 says, Praise is due to you, O God, and to you shall vows be performed. Praise is due to God. Sinful humanity and rebellion against God is characterized by a failure to honor God. But may it not be said of us, May we join the chorus of Psalm 150 in, pra in praising our great God. Join with me as we walk through Psalm 150. Praise Yahweh. Hallelujah. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Notice that the psalmist praises, calls us to praise God for both what He has done and who He is. Who He is. He's the great God whose greatness is unsearchable. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. His wisdom is unsearchable. His perfections are beyond our ability to exhaust. And what has He done? He's created the world, but He's done even greater things than create the world from nothing. He's redeemed the world. And, and perhaps the greatest thing God has ever done is He became a man. And He lived a perfect life and He suffered and died in our place. That you and I could be saved by grace. Some of you grew up being told or were we're part of false religions previously that told you, you've got to be good enough, you can never mess up. What's the gospel say? Your God has paid for all your sin. Past, present, future. That right now, you are counted perfect in God's holy sight. He has justified all who trust in Him. He has declared you righteous by faith. If that doesn't cause your heart to sing praises, what will? 
can I confess something that I've confessed before? I struggle to remember that. You'd think, Charles, you're a preacher. Like, this is like 101, right? Don't you remember you're saved by grace through faith? Yeah, I, I, I know that. But sometimes I forget it. And I just want to remind you, church, you are loved, you're forgiven, but you're more than just forgiven. You're justified. You're declared righteous. God looks at you as perfect. Even on your worst of days. Because Jesus has become to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Fact check me on it. Christ Jesus has become to us righteousness from God. Your righteousness is an alien righteousness. It's an imputed righteousness that was given to you. And so on your worst days and on your best days, and I assure you that even on your best days are there shot through with sin, just as mine are. We're righteous because our righteousness is Jesus. It's not our behavior. As we grow into a people of praise, let us be intentional to praise God both for what he has done and who he is. The psalmist continues, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Wow, let's just unpack this, this, whole, this whole symphony of instruments here. Well, first off, let's talk about the trumpet. Uh, anybody know what the trumpet here is? The, the Hebrew word is shofar. So this is actually a ram's horn. I'm sorry, Tim, it's not the brass ensemble. Um, it's okay, you can use, a, you can use a, a, a brass trumpet in worship, but, but, it, but what's in view here is the shofar. It's the ram's horn. Um, and if you look at the Old Testament, the ram's horn, the shofar, was kind of used in, a lot of times in military settings, calling uh, in battle. Uh, it was also used in ritual settings, such as the, it, announced the, it announced the Day of Atonement. Uh, when kings were coronated, they would blow the shofar. Um, uh, but there's other instruments here as well, and it's an impressive list of musical instruments as uh, Trimper Longman comments, he says the, the impressive list of musical instruments reminds us that Psalm 150 was sung. In fact, all of the psalms were sung. All of the psalms were sung. On that note, you, we've started to try to incorporate the psalms into our worship service. And even though our series in the book of the psalms is coming to an end, I hope that our singing of the psalms is just beginning. Do you know that twice in the New Testament we are told to sing the psalms? In Ephesians 5 it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are told to sing psalms. Not just psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, but, but psalms. 
Paul repeats this in Colossians 3 when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do you do that? How do you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Paul will tell you. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. One of the ways, practically, how do you let the word of God dwell in your heart richly? You sing it. And there is something powerful about taking the eternal, inspired, inerrant word of God and singing it back to him. Um, So as we have started to incorporate that into our worship repertoire, uh, I hope that we will just continue to do that. I hope that we will continue to include the Psalms in our worship services. It's also interesting to note here how many instruments there are listed. Did anybody count? How many instruments are listed? Okay, you didn't count. It was seven. I didn't expect you to count. I didn't count either until, somebody, until James Hamilton pointed this out, so don't feel bad. There's seven listed. Now, why is that significant? In Hebrew, the number seven um, has a special significance. It, it often includes, it has a sense of totality, of completeness. James Hamilton notes that he thinks it is likely suggesting that all instruments are to be used in the praise of God. That, that se- seven instruments listed is not an accident. That he's picking, he lists seven to indicate that all instruments can be used in worship of God. And this is the ultimate purpose of music. Music's an amazing thing. Why did God create music? To praise him. The highest end of music is to praise God. The ESV Study Bible comments that instruments, voices, and bodies, yes, I heard some of you chuckle when it says dancing, but it's there, isn't it? Dancing, instruments, bodies, and, and voices, and, and dancing gives a picture of total worship. This is a people that are so excited and jubilant and just worshiping God with their entire being, their voices, their bodies, everything they've got, praising God. And so what more can be said but this? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You may recall that our, our first father, Adam, was breathed into, that God breathed life into our first father. Genesis 2 says, then Yahweh God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. God breathed life into our first father, giving life to all of humanity. And now in worship, we breathe back to God the breath that he breathed into us we breathe he breathed life into us and we use that life to breathe praise back to him the psalms end with praise hallelujah The whole book of Psalms ends in this symphony of praise. And I think, I think that points us to a hope 
church. It points us to a certain hope that eventually it all ends in praise. That this is true for our lives. That this journey through the Psalms is a a mini picture of our journey through life and that all our struggles, all our trials will resolve into endless praise. Whatever pain you carry in your heart right now, whatever scars your soul bears, whatever grief you feel from the loss of a loved one, a parent, a spouse of 70 years, whatever grief you are feeling, your pain, your sorrow is temporary, church. And this hope changes everything. When your marriage hits a hard place, or you grieve the loss of a loved one, and you feel like you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death itself, Psalm 150 reminds us that this is not the end. Hear me, church. Are you listening? Your pain is temporary. Your sorrow will not last forever. And so you can get up and face another day. You can keep working on your marriage. You can keep enduring that trial you are going through because that trial is but the blip on the screen of eternity. And after you have been in the presence of Jesus for 10 trillion years, Won't, you won't feel the pain. I think five seconds into the presence of Jesus, maybe a half a second into the presence of Jesus, and nothing else is going to matter. I, I've said this before, but let me say it again, uh, especially to you teenagers. Uh, I want to address this to you. One of the dangers facing teenagers we know is the high suicide rate and why teenagers are at a particularly high risk of suicide is because due to cognitive development, um, life just feels immediate. And when something terrible happens for a teenager, it often feels like the world has come to an end and it, will, and, and it's, it seems impossible cognitively to believe that things will ever be better. And that's one of the things that comes with life and experience and you guys who are 20, 30, 40, 50 know that... One of the things we learn is that you will get through this. And so teens, we just want to remind you that whatever you might feel, if you, if you have thoughts of suicide, I had thoughts of suicide when I was 18 years old, 17, 18 years old, 18 years old. Um, we want to remind you that if you ever feel this way, talk to one of us. We love you. We need you. And, and we want Psalm 150 to be a reminder to you that this is not the end. There is unending joy coming down the pipeline for all who trust in Christ. Not for everybody who's perfect, because that's none of us. That's only Jesus. There is unending joy coming for everyone who simply trusts in Jesus. It's by faith, not by works. I would remind you, church, 
Here's the little sneak preview. Here's the trailer for heaven. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Faith will be sight. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. Write this down. John, write this down because I want my people to know this. I want my people to have this as their bedrock hope. These words are trustworthy and true. It's going to happen, church. It's not a pipe dream. It's not a wishful thinking. This is the future. And God is already there. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He has all power to bring to completion what he has said that he will do. Nothing will thwart our God whose greatness is unsearchable. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of life, from the spring of the water of life without payment. All of life will resolve into praise. To quote that moving song by Jordan St. Cyr, weary travel, weary traveler, weary traveler, you won't be weary long. As we wait for that day, Psalm 150 can be our praise. And it's an intentional call to praise God, to be intentional in our praise. In just a moment, our worship team is going to lead us in praise, the only fitting way to end this psalm. But before they do that, we want to provide you a time of meditation to take just a moment before we praise God with everything we've got, to belt it out. Take a moment to reflect, how has he spoken to you through this psalm? How has he encouraged you? What do you need to do in response? As we wait for the day when death will be swallowed up by life, let us be intentional to be a people of praise. Hallelujah.